You're listening to Once, episode 239, Our Decay. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Jacqueline. We are glad to have you listening with us and joining us for this conversation. We've watched and rewatched this episode, Our Decay. And I'm going to go out there and say this is probably one of the best episodes of the season. What do you guys think? I agree. I really agree. This was the first episode in quite a while that I was very eager to rewatch and rewatch again. It almost seemed like it got better with each rewatch. <laughs> it's like cheese. Yes. In that it gets better with age, not with rewatching or eating. Yeah, I completely agree. When I watched it live, I wasn't quite sure if I enjoyed it all that much, but then I kept having to rewatch it because there were things that were stuck in my head that I couldn't unthink about. (laughs) And so I ended up watching it several times after Sunday. And every single time I was like, yeah, this is really good. The dialogue, the acting, the one thing that like Jenny and I mentioned in the initial reactions that just didn't work with this episode is who got the parts as in all of that beautiful dialogue was between the Lord of the Underworld (laughs) and the Wicked Witch of the West. That's what made it so great. (laughs) If it had been normal people, it would have been like, okay, even Hook, which is weird because of Captain Hook and Emma, that would have been really very strange. It would have been sort of boring. And also, why are they being so silly? But these two, it just, the irony made it so much better. So let's dig into this episode, starting with the past, as Zelina is, I guess, maybe celebrating Abandonment Day? Apparently. (laughs) Obviously, the cupcake with the candle was reminiscent of Emma's birthday cupcake from the pilot. Yeah. And recently we saw, like, flashbacks, at least, that took place on one of Regina's birthdays. So I wonder if there's a reason they're sort of fixating on, at Mm. least, not fixating on, but we've done two birthdays or birthday substitutes this season so far plus babies being born all over the place or getting ready to be born and we don't know quite when this happens exactly they're afraid to say they'll put it on the dvd (laughs) (laughs) it's many years ago (laughs) but dorothy they used a different actress for dorothy Mm -hmm. and older yeah older it could also be that the original actress wasn't available but it seems like maybe only a few years have passed. So I'll let Keb worry about that, about yeah. how this matches with the timeline. But we do get one date from this. And that is Zelina's birthday is April 15th. So it's coming up. Hey, celebrate your taxes. <laughs> celebrate your taxes. send your check to Zelina or maybe vice versa. Celebrate money abandonment day. <laughs> In the US at least. Do you think... In looking at the timeline on an hour-by-hour level, Keb would be able to tell us whether it's ever daytime in Oz? Probably. (laughs) That's a good question. If we ever seen daylight in Oz, I am so baffled by this. Sorry, I am looking at our very, very big timeline. I was going to say, you're doing a lot of side-scrolling there. (laughs) When Zelina left 
her father's hut, did she walk out into the daytime? Was were there like was like sun shining through the windows? Yes. I think so. Am I am I making this up in my head? I think there was some sunlight at one point. I agree that it's mostly dark though, because they want to show the Emerald City. Yeah. Emeraldy. But every scene in my memory that I'm thinking of Oz, like when there was the gathering of the whoever they were with the gems. No, but but like back when we saw Oz before and then the munchkins this time, it's just always I just think of a lot of dark and yellow and green. Matthew Paul suggested maybe Oz is in the same solar system as Neverland. Right. No sunlight. (laughs) (laughs) But Dorothy could travel back to Oz. And Zelina mentioned the slippers, so I'm guessing, because why walk around with a pair of slippers like that? But I'm guessing that those slippers are a way that Dorothy is able to go back and forth now between Kansas and Oz. And maybe those slippers are how Zelina got back to Storybrooke. That would make sense, I guess. Except that I feel like to track the path of the slippers would be to find that they were not available. Well, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense because Dorothy is from fictional Kansas. I forget. Is that something we know for sure? (laughs) Yes. Adam Horowitz did tweet that in response to a couple questions that he got after Sunday's episode that Kansas, that Dorothy is from, is a fictional realm. I suppose that would explain her clothing. (laughs) Uh. Which... I don't know. I wasn't too thrilled about. I mean, I think it probably answers why Dorothy isn't a lot older if this is taking place after Regina's curse, possibly, because fictional Kansas would have been frozen the same as we saw of fictional Victorian England in Wonderland. But I don't know that having a a land that is specifically fictional Kansas makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. We've looked at the whole fictional realm thing before where it intersects with our world. And I think what doesn't sit well with us is that they've made the characters real by bringing them to our world. And they've made the enchanted forest, a real place and some other places that were out of story books, but then where those characters traditionally in their stories intersected with our world. And it doesn't make sense on the timeline. They've just said, ah, it's a fictional version of this land without magic, but from a specific time period. And it's just kind of, And sometimes those things would have to take place timeline-wise before those places existed on Earth, potentially. It's it's very odd to me that they... I mean, it seems that some of these characters could have been written in such a way that they never... Like, maybe Dorothy's not really from Kansas in this story, but something that when the story was told in our world, it would have been translated to be Kansas. To me, that would be potentially more believable but then everybody's a writer i suppose we've got that message loud and clear (laughs) (laughs) i like the idea of dorothy being from actual kansas because yeah remember rumple wanted those slippers before so that he could get to a land without magic and jefferson had said way back then that the slippers had been moved yeah Presumably, that's when Dorothy took them and uh, used them to get to a land without magic. Right, because then then Dorothy's, she doesn't have to wear the traditional Dorothy clothes. None of the other characters were traditional to start out with. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Once Upon a Time does not take a traditional approach necessarily to these characters. They take a Disney and Kitsis and Horowitz approach. (laughs) (laughs) The Scarecrow was very short. 
Yeah. But <laughs> I think actually well animated. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. Poor guy. But speaking of non-traditional story routes, how does Zelina know about the Scarecrow if Dorothy didn't have that traditional Oz story? Because when we saw Dorothy back in the episode Kansas, nothing resembling your traditional Oz story took place. So how does she even know about the Scarecrow if, A, the wizard is a monkey? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I have to laugh at that. (laughs) 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 And two, if the Scarecrow never ventured to the Emerald City to get a brain with Dorothy. And add to that, when did Dorothy win the love of the people? Yes. Yeah, she never met any of those munchkins in that episode, Kansas. For this episode, that was like, uh, that was a key phrase. It's almost like the key words are bolded. So we've had snuff out the light and we've the, things like that. But for this one episode, it was the love of the people. It's your vocab, not really vocab word, but your key word phrase thing. And I don't know where she got it but it was very coveted. Yeah, I had wondered if that was going to be something that was important in the future, like future episodes from now, because they kept saying it. Yeah, they. Yeah, as we go through, there's a lot of stuff that feels like they're preparing at least for a future episode, if not a future story arc. Maybe Zelina and Hades will renovate the underworld and will take control And they'll rule side by side, and Zelina will have the love of the people, well, the the dead people, that is. Maybe. (laughs) It's very strange. We finally got to see Toto. Yeah. In fact, when Dorothy was saying, I have the most powerful weapon of all, Toto starts (laughs) sticking his head out, and I'm thinking, it's the dog? (laughs) (laughs) Of course it's the dog. Not really. So in trying to figure this out in Dorothy's connection here, somehow also the Munchkins got word to Dorothy that Zelina was in control. Well, let's not dig down that rabbit hole necessarily. Ah, but... Rabbit hole. <laughs> Probably a rabbit. Is that's the only way. But we did get the clarification that Hades is not the devil. Yes, we did. And yet they've given him so many devilish characteristics. <laughs> But the show is right. Hades isn't evil in the same sense that we consider the devil to be the incarnation of evil. But does this mean that the devil is canon in the show? Did they canonize the devil? Right. (laughs) I I think they did. Because he said uh, that uh, people often conflate them. Now, here's your word of the day, boys and girls. Conflate is a verb, which means to fuse into one entity or merge. Believe it or not, I actually knew that. And I was very impressed that they actually used the word. (laughs) It's just a lot of mythology all grouped together with no distinguishing between them, or at least it's the writers haven't sat down and said, okay, yes, all these deities exist, but all these, you know, modern religious figures that we know of also exist. And we're going to incorporate some of those things into our story too, because you've had Zeus, Hades. Apparently now we have the devil. There was reference to a burning bush, which is Moses. And then last arc, we saw the Holy Grail. So (laughs) it's 
I look at and I go, what mythology are you guys following here? They're following the Kitsis and Horowitz mythology. They're mixing everything together. And they can do that. They're writing their own story. So they have that freedom to do that. Everybody wants to be an author after all. Or it writes itself. (laughs) They just wake up after a trance and discover, (laughs) hey, we've got another episode written. (laughs) (laughs) These episodes do write themselves. I did love this flirtatious banter between Hades and Zelina. Yeah, it it's funny, <laughs> and even the romantic moments are funny when you remember this is Hades and Zelina and the Wicked Witch of the West. She burns people and turns people into flying monkeys. So when Hades visits Zelina in her throne room. That's when we get more of the Greek mythology sort of <laughs> thing. No, we get bad Greek mythology. <laughs> so explain, Jacqueline. First off, shout out to everyone who tweeted me during the live airing of this episode to ask if I was okay with this scene. <laughs> it was really funny that people started tweeting me right away. Like when someone mentions a burning red room <laughs> or squidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people tweet me. <laughs> so they decided to make Zeus the older brother, as a lot of people kind of predicted they would. And this isn't true. While it's going to depend on what source you're reading, there is one widely accepted list of birth order for the Olympian gods. And it comes from Hesiod's Theogony. Hesiod is roughly contemporaneous with Homer. And when you take any kind of Greek mythology course, you're probably going to read the Theogony or his other work, uh, Works and Days. And uh, line 453 of the Theogony goes into the children of Cronus and Rhea, who are the two titans who are ruling the heavens before Zeus and his siblings take over. And it reads, But Rhea was subject in love to Cronus and bore splendid children, Hestia, Demeter, and Goldshot Hera, and strong Hades, pitiless in heart, who dwells under the earth, and the loud, crashing earthshaker and wise Zeus, father of gods and men, by whose thunder the wide earth is shaken. So the actual birth order that is the most widely accepted is Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, Poseidon, and Zeus, making Zeus the youngest. I tried to rationalize this in my brain mm-hmm. that without saying, oh, well, they're just following some sort of Disney route. The only way that Zeus could be the eldest is if they decided that when Cronus regurgitates his children, because Cronus eats his children, except Zeus, he regurgitates them in opposite order. So, <laughs> Like you do. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. So Zeus was never swallowed, so he is suddenly the eldest, and then his siblings are reborn in reverse order, making Zeus both the youngest and the eldest, and making Hestia the oldest and the youngest. And that's the only way I could really rationalize this. I could get myself some Greek mythology. This stuff is funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some pretty crazy stories. But what about this thing about Zeus having stopped Hades' heart? No, that's totally Kitsis and Horowitz. Okay. And this this would be where, upon rewatching, even though I love this episode, I have to start taking a few points away because 
this whole heart thing. Okay, so nobody took his heart out, but they've gone right back into territory that's not only familiar, but flawed. They stopped my heart. I can't feel love. I can't feel... Oh, there's only hatred, yet he's falling in love. Same thing we've debated over and over again. Like, can he love or can't he love? You can't even make up your mind. So why did we Why did we even bring this up? Plus, we're kind of defining a villain again by, no, somebody else disabled me and made it so that I have to be a villain. But really, I'm good. And all I want is love. Right. <laughs> so I'm not a fan of that aspect. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the same story beats that they've been hitting over and over again for, oh, I don't know, five years. <laughs> <laughs> but my question is, with this frozen heart, was it actually stopped by Zeus or did it stop because of Hades' resentment of Zeus? Hmm. Yeah, that's like that point. seems to be kind of one of those narrative through points that the show is constantly doing is that the villain always sees themselves as the victim. But in reality, it's the fact that they are so filled with revenge or their desire for power or their desire for a better life that really clouds their heart. It's not really the hero's fault. That's true. And I wonder if they might through parallels, even use some of Hades' story to explain to us a little bit of the changes in Selena that we'll be talking about in a little bit. Uh, so during this scene, one other little Greek thing, Hades does say no one is more hated than the lord of the underworld, and it did remind me of a rhetorical question that King Agamemnon asks in the epic poem The Iliad, where he asks a bunch of soldiers, why do we hate Hades more than any other immortal? And the answer is basically because he's so unyielding. He's not really going to change his mind about any kind of judgment he makes on you. Hmm. That makes me wonder about his his present state as we see him and how much we can trust him. Yeah. Well, then we get to see the beautiful <laughs> bicycle ride together. <laughs> And pretty much when you get on a bicycle ride with a person, you're going to fall in love with them. That's like you, someone else, bicycle ride together, you fall in love. It's kind of how it works. Huh. Is that is that a real world rule or is that just a once upon a time rule? But that's a movie rule. <laughs> oh, movie rule. Have you never seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Raindrops keep falling on my head. <laughs> While they're taking their like little bike ride and they... Really? Okay. I think I'm like much younger than both of you and none of you have seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. This was another one of those things that was really cute and beautiful, but it's Hades, the Lord of the Underworld and the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> it's probably, it's one of those most absurd things they've ever done. And I never could have predicted we'd be describing this scene when the series started, but it was great. <laughs> It's like a brew with wheels. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's what I thought was going to happen. I thought he was going to enchant the bike and it was going to fly. <laughs> and it was going to be very reminiscent of Mrs. Gulch. Or from E.T. Or E.T. <laughs> or E.T. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was going to be sort of a callback to Miss... Was it Miss or Mrs. Gulch? I can't imagine it was Mrs. <laughs> She was a little severe um, from the original Wizard of Oz movie, uh, flying through the twister on the bicycle. 
<laughs> and she was also <laughs> the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. Or a little E.T. reference. Because we did already have the glowing finger the glowing almost. Finger. <laughs> if she had stuck up her glowing finger while on a flying bicycle, we all would have started theorizing that the next story arc was going to be E.T. I don't know what that would have looked like. But it was exciting enough to make Hades heart flutter, which makes me think like it kind of like it's been in a dormant state and this has given it just a little bit of life. And somehow that felt good because, but okay, so you've had a cold before and you know what it's like when your sinuses are finally empty, truly empty for the first time in days or a couple of weeks and you breathe and it's like that feels awful can you imagine having a stopped heart for who knows how long like eons and then it flutters that would feel awful i think he did say it's been a while which might be (laughs) the reason he has a slightly altered judgment when they find dorothy i've seen many powerful women in my day but none as brilliantly wicked as you or clever or witty or beautiful (laughs) oh It's so sweet. And apparently... Totally shipping this, guys. (laughs) What's not being said is, and no, not just from the brief time we've spent together, I've been watching you from a distance for a while. (laughs) Which is creepy. I do think they make a great couple. And this episode (laughs) is certainly a beautiful thing that happens between them. But it's just, again... Zelina and Hades. I, I just keep coming back to that. These are two absolutely wicked villains, and we're seeing them fall in love. It's kind of like seeing some murder movie, and you see the murderer goes back and loves spending time with his children and his wife, and he's a great family man, great with kids, mm-hmm. and then he goes out and murders people. Well, think about birthdays in their house. It'd be like he helps her steal organs. And possibly whole babies. And she, like, wipes out villages for him and brings him souls. Well, okay, I made this reference over at the forums, but it kind of reminded me of Madalena and Gareth from Galavant when they basically are like, we're terrible people, so we should be terrible together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it made me happy. <laughs> now... When Zelina then talked to Dorothy, she said, what happened to you back in Kansas? Which makes me want to know what happened to Dorothy back in Kansas. They've suddenly brought Dorothy in way stronger. Yeah. Hardened in some way. Yeah. So they could have just decided, okay, Dorothy last time, kind of lame. So let's just make her cool and let's throw in this line to sort of like say, yes, we see that she's very different than the last time we saw her. Or... And the way I think we're kind of interpreting it, it feels like they're building her up as a character for some future purpose. Hmm. And in our chat room just now, Doxon suggested maybe a spinoff? No. Once Upon a Time in Oz? (laughs) Well, they're going to have to find the sun if they're going to do Once Upon a Time in Oz. That's just prerequisite. (laughs) I can't watch all that darkness. It's depressing. It was especially depressing to see the scarecrow die. Right there. Did he die? He literally ripped his brains out. Yeah. So, well, okay. Scarecrow is supposed to be able to live without his brain. That's the whole point of the Scarecrow character. 
I think it just was traumatic and he can get up and blunder about and they maybe we'll see him get his brain back. She never used it. True. And she lost it or she would have had it and not needed something representing a brain later. Right. Yeah. Like Jenny and I were talking about in the initial reactions, mm-hmm. Zelina ended up using Rumpel's brain or a representation thereof. Yeah. So I'm guessing that at some point Dorothy takes the brain back. Hopefully all without us seeing gingham with blood spatter. <laughs> <laughs> so all victorious, Zelina goes back to her throne to discover that the devil, I'm sorry, Hades has made a dinner date with her. Which rude. He just walks away or poofs away or flames away or whatever it is that he does while she's having her victory. But apparently just after because he saw the whole thing. But he's fallen in love with her so quickly. And see previous statement about stalking Zelina. (laughs) Yeah, they've they've had one bicycle ride together. (laughs) And that's enough that he decides I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You can't marry a man you just met. You can if it's true love. Anna, what do you know about true love? (laughs) (laughs) I had to pull in Frozen. (laughs) Well, he didn't propose marriage. He proposed kissing. But here's the thing. And this would be the other spot where we lose a couple points. This whole suspicion upon which we base Zelina rejecting him and hurting him is completely illogical because if she was right and his motives were so completely selfish that he was just using her, then it's not true love and it wouldn't have done anything and it wouldn't have been a good plan and it wouldn't have worked. But if it worked, then it's true love. And if it's true love, that means he's not just using her. So really she could have just kissed him. (laughs) True. It either would have worked or not, but if it worked, it's not like he's going to, if it's true love, he's not going to just turn around and be like, ha ha, goodbye. Well, I mean, he could. We've seen that on this show before. Skin deep with Rumple and Belle. It's obvious, you know, kiss me again, it's working. He freaks out and ends up throwing her out of the castle. Yeah, But that was a change of heart. That wasn't a premeditated, I'm going to use you sort of a thing. Yeah, he could have changed his mind, but she was accusing him of planning the whole thing. Okay, you're right. It's kind of illogical. But it's also really overly dramatic and cheesy and kind of eye-roll worthy, and I ate it up completely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is bad. I'm not supposed to ship anything else on this show ever again <laughs> because I get my heart broken. So someone has to, like, stop me here. Because this this isn't going to end well for me. And I did not expect to suddenly feel any form of sympathy for Hades at any point. Right. At any point. Um, Or Zelina. Which is pretty cool in a sense that they are able to do that. On the other hand, he actually, for several weeks, has been freaking me out in general more than most villains that they have. And now they've sort of done the flip and declawed him a little bit, which is fine, I guess. I don't know if that makes him an effective villain anymore, but it was fun. I don't know where it's going, but it was fun. And interesting words to leave the person that you're claiming to love. He said, you will regret this, Zelina. Right. (laughs) 
But what is she going to regret? Is she going to regret not kissing him in the sense that he's going to now do something bad to her? Or is she going to regret not kissing him because she gave up her one chance for true love? Because, you know, later in the episode, in the scene that's parallel to this, when they're at the clock tower, he said, love, true love endures, nothing can break it. So I don't think he means it in a menacing way. I think he he knows that Zelina is going to be contemplating the what if for the rest of her life because she didn't take this chance. Yeah, And that could be, or that could be where the claws come back when we find out potentially that he's now playing her because he's bent on revenge. But is he? The more I watch this episode, the more I think what they're showing us is the truth. I agree. Not only the production side, like I mentioned in initial reactions, where usually when they're hiding something from you, usually in a TV show, they show you what they're hiding from you at the end of the episode. (laughs) There was nothing like that. There was no reveal, no hint that he could be lying. So I think that it is true. He does love Zelina. He's doing all of this for Zelina. Yeah. It's very possible. It's the best explanation and the only explanation so far of why it looks like Storybrooke. So it is very possible that it's how it appears on the surface. So if he gets gets his true love's kiss, he'll be free with his magic, without his magic. What does it really mean? And, And is this a good thing for him to be free? Yes. And we'll dig into that more in a little bit when we talk about that last scene from this episode. Just to show that I'm not like a total sap, that there are some (laughs) criticisms here. I mean, I can't be me if I'm not a little bit critical. (laughs) So, So while I did really like this, and while a lot of people at the forums this week did really like this relationship, everyone pretty much agreed that it was super fast because they basically fall in love after one bike ride. And it is it is pretty fast. So a couple people had some stuff to say about that, though. Wicked Regal wrote that to rationalize the fastness of this, Hades is a man who has spent millenniums waging war against love and life, and to suddenly feel an ounce of it, it just overcame him. Hades is someone who loves hard, but I think it initially started out as a lust for the darkness Selena possessed. But after the bike ride, it clicked that, hey, this is what I've seen other mortals do, and this is how they fall in love. So I think Hades convinced himself that he was in love with Selena. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, like I said, I think that he knows a lot more about her than she knows about him. So it's not as fast on his side. And then for her, it's like she feels that nobody loves her ever. So somebody, she's like, she's right there ready for someone who expresses all those things. She's going to fall in love or feel like she has pretty quickly because besides not feeling loved, she's made it pretty plain that that's right up there with revenge. I mean, that's everything she said about the baby in the past is she wants someone finally to love her and only her. Which is interesting because she also ends this entire conversation by telling Hades that love is not enough, which... right. You know, kind of, I, I I heard that line and I thought, well, she really is Cora's daughter. <laughs> because, you know, Cora was convinced that love wasn't enough. And, you know, her final words to Regina back in uh, The Miller's Daughter are, you would have been enough. Right. So. Which I never thought about it before, but if Selena ever heard that. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> 
do you think we'll get to see Zelina and Cora interact? I actually don't think so. After rewatching this, I realized that Hades said he took care of Cora. Yeah. As if she's completely no more. Yeah, that's weird. But speaking of taking care of people, you know who takes care of us? In a good way, that is. (laughs) (laughs) Our heroes who support the episodes week after week, month after month, and we really appreciate the support. We could not do this podcast without you. So for this episode, I'd like to thank Lisa Slack and David Newland and our 28 supporters on Patreon. Thank you very much for your kind support of the podcast. It enables us to get the screenshots, the sound clips from the episodes, to get episodes that we can easily rewatch and to be able to share with the others who help us with the podcast and a lot more. So thank you very much. We couldn't do this without you. And to reward your patronage, to reward your uh, hero-ness to us and to the podcast, we've started putting out bonus stuff on the Patreon page. So make sure you go over to Patreon if you're supporting the podcast on Patreon of any level. It could be a dollar a month. It could be $50 a month. But go over to Patreon and that's where you can get the exclusive bonuses for our supporters. Like you get access to the spoilers early. You get access to the unedited episodes that you can rewatch from us to see all of our mistakes in the episodes. And if you really like laughing at our mistakes, like we often like laughing at them too, you also get a special bloopers clip that's all edited together the best and funniest bloopers from our podcast recording episode after episode and we get some really fun ones there so check those out over at oncepodcast.com slash hero for your options for supporting the podcast and thank you for your support we couldn't do this without you thank you Moving on to present day in the underworld it starts off with Hades walking by the clock and he's got this this emotional look on his face that's one of the things that makes me think everything he's saying about doing this for Zelina is true and one of the reasons why he's feeling emotional now especially as the clock ticks right there in front of him I think it's because he feels like this place I built for Zelina and me is crumbling it's falling apart it's dying and there's going to be nothing left for us to enjoy together in our wickedness huh that could definitely be i didn't know what to think the first time second time yeah i was right there with you but now thinking back about it his expression was relatively non-committal whereas later which we'll discuss zelina we have a moment where zelina is holding her baby and she is by herself and crying over the fact that she hurt the baby with her magic We know it's genuine because there was nobody around to try and fool. With Hades, we don't have any clear-cut moment. I mean, yeah, you could interpret how he was looking to be that, but it could also, it could have been anything in my mind. Like, they could still, it could still be a twist, I suppose, is what I'm saying. That door is not closed. Whereas, even though Zelina may be changing her mind again, we had that confirmation, I suppose, of her motives. I tend to agree with Daniel. I thought it was a pretty emotional, silent scene where he was communicating that he really misses Zelina because he's looking at the picture of the two of them together and he's standing next to the clock tower, which is literally ticking away, I guess, the, the souls as they leave and the moments until this gift that he made for Zelina goes away forever. 
and I had a lot of feelings for Hades, and I'd like to keep him forever. <laughs> <laughs> so you would rather nobody leave the underworld? Put his name on a tombstone no. and he'll never leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't think I could take the red tint for the rest of the series. But, you know, he could totally pop up to the real world and they could, like, get a little house together somewhere. Then you'll never see him again. Probably. (laughs) Speaking of popping up in the real world, they have this back and forth. And it's the first time that we've seen Storybrooke this year or this second half of the season. And it was really neat to see Storybrooke and know, okay, Storybrooke is still there. It still exists. It looked so normal. The worst thing that's happening is Zelina is there somehow, I'm guessing, because of Dorothy's slippers. But I really (laughs) liked this back and forth between two simultaneous things in completely different worlds and then how they connect with each other. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, first of all, it was interesting to, after months or weeks or whatever it's been of not having any blue fairy, we have two of her, at least for a moment. They're making up. Which she needs to have a moment in which she decides, I want to be the blue fairy again. I don't, I'm not Mother Superior anymore. Yeah. She really needs that moment. I am no longer both. If for no other reason, then I'm tired of hearing them call her Mother Superior when they could just say blue. She's not really a nun. (laughs) As soon as that happens, she better become the most biggest, baddest villain in the entire show then. Because Sneaky Fairy will always be Sneaky Fairy until proven otherwise. (laughs) So as soon as she says, I am the Blue Fairy, I want her to like be menacing and destroying Storybrooke. That was kind of a missed opportunity. They really could have played up the Zelina impersonating her thing a bit more and had her do something sneaky with all of us believing it was blue and everybody would have been freaking out and going, sneaky fairy is true. And then it was Zelina. They didn't really give a chance for that to be appearing to be the case. They gave that theory just a little crumb. A crumb. That's what they did. (laughs) One of the strange things here is this portal opening because of the mechanics of portals. Because it's supposed to be that only a magic bean or a rabbit or a dark curse or slippers or some of these other things can open a portal Mm -hmm. to our world. Now, that could be a little bit different because our world now has magic and so it is more connected with the other world. But here's the way that I think it could be explained is that this portal was basically using Hades' magic, but then it's Rumpel's blood added to that as a catalyst that enables Hades to bring someone back alive. Okay, that actually makes more sense because I was frustrated by the fact that first they needed a ship to get there and Rumpel's blood, and then talking about leaving, they needed a boat again. But here... No boat required, but that yeah. makes sense. It was yeah. a combination. But it's just a story, Brooke, right? I mean, Rumble's blood can't open a portal to anywhere, right? Because well, that would be... The implication, I mean, there was a question of where do you want the portal to go? Yeah. That's now, true. that could have just been specifically to our world. But, I mean, Hades can apparently go wherever he wants. But with very limited power when yeah. he does. and. That's also confirmation since I was, maybe I was the only one, but I was questioning whether he was going or appearing in places, sort of like a projection, but he's actually going. Right. Because he did hand a physical object to Liam 
in the last episode. Well, yes, but I assume a projection could do that, at least in Once Upon a Time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of portals, I guess I agree that the Slippers probably got Zelina to Storybrooke, except for a few things. One, she's not wearing them. Two, again, Dorothy is from fictional Kansas. If Zelina clicked her heels, it wouldn't actually take her to Storybrooke. It would take her to fictional Kansas. Hmm. Or it would take you wherever you want to go, maybe? Yeah. Have we seen any portal that works like that? Um, I think, I can't quite remember it now here, but it seems like we've seen the slippers used by someone else. Wasn't it Regina or... That stuff is so foggy for some reason. No. Zelina got them, and she took herself to the Enchanted Forest to study with Rumple. That's right. Yeah. And then she took herself back to Oz, and then Galinda gave the slippers to Dorothy to take her home to Kansas. So there we go. From Oz to Enchanted Forest, not Oz to fictional Kansas, so or real Kansas. So Zelina could then theoretically use... The same slippers to go from Oz to Storybrooke, especially since now Storybrooke is connected magically to the rest of the realms because the dark curse has been broken and all that stuff. Because magic. Magic, yeah. But then does that mean that Dorothy went from fictional Kansas to the Enchanted Forest to Oz? No, I think she just went from Kansas to Oz. But you know what Rumpel would say. Your questions are pointless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I did like the the jump cuts the same as Daniel, though. Did anyone else think that Belle kind of lunged herself into that portal? Yeah, I couldn't quite tell. There. Yeah, she did. She grabbed that baby and jumped into the portal of unknown origin, but certainly of red doom color. <laughs> I like good job protecting people, Belle. This is why you get left behind. Well, not really, but it was a pretty I felt it was rather ridiculous. Zelina jumping in made sense. <laughs> Well, I I looked at that scene several times, and the it's a weird thing. You look at it from above the portal, and it looks almost like Belle intentionally steps into the portal. Mm-hmm. But then you look at it from inside the portal when we see Belle going through it, and it looks like Belle fell into the portal. I think it would have been cool if the baby had just been picked up and pulled into the portal, and Belle dove and grabbed it. That would give so many people nightmares. well but it's what should have been happening because that portal was supposed to take the baby right and it's because it took all three of them instead of one that it ended up somewhere different just kind of like the premise of lost in space because there was a hitchhiker the weight calibration and everything was completely off and so they ended up somewhere different than they were supposed to i wasn't thrilled with that but they did land right outside the nun's school equivalent in the underworld Yes, they did. And I thought it was a very logical arrival point. I'm not sure. <laughs> Whatever. It really doesn't matter. The The whole point was to get them there. And for somehow, even though the portal was right in front of them, for Rumple and Hades to not know they were there. Yeah. While the Charmings are at Granny's, at first, when they were talking about wanting to talk to Neil, I was thinking, Neil, not Prince Baby Neil. Yeah. That's why they should just call him Baby Snowflake. Yeah. These moments at Granny's are also among my favorites, <laughs> which is why I'm enjoying this <laughs> season or this story arc so much. People... Yeah, the Blind Witch is a lot of fun. <laughs> Who thought we'd ever have a chance to say that? Or ever have a chance to say level one haunting. <laughs> 
that whole thing. Uh, but Snow's realization that they're regulars, I felt like the translation was more, oh no, David, my proclamation that I'm Snow White didn't turn us into relevant characters. <laughs> we still sit at Granny's. Eating dry white toast and oatmeal, which is maybe the blandest breakfast ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff you eat when you're sick. I still say they are Snow White and Prince Charming. Could they possibly please do more than sit at Granny's? There's got to be stuff. David's breath might do more because it's apparently extremely valuable on the black market. (laughs) That's true. So the underworld has a black market guys just saying where like it's the underworld is storybook so every time they say that there is something in this underworld i have to rationalize it with okay but where is it in storybook so where are they setting up this black market like is it the mayor hall (laughs) what what all do they trade and how do they even get the breath of the living when no one living ever goes to the underworld what do you use it for all very good questions, but as Rumpel would probably say, your questions are pointless. <laughs> well, I have more, Rumpel. I want to know what a level two and level three haunting are. <laughs> well, do you remember when Cora came back? Yes, in season three, episode 18, Bleeding Through. Yeah, so maybe that was a level two or a level three haunting. But somebody explained to me, now that we've seen her in the underworld, why she looked the way she did. <laughs> I guess that's the translation of a haunting. And on that topic, the Charmings really jumped at this chance for a level one haunting. How did they know they weren't going to... They don't know how it's going to be on the other end. How did they know they weren't going to totally screw that kid up for life? Mm -hmm. How did they even know, by the way, that the witch wanted something from them with that answer? I thought it was a great answer. Because she was very vague. Here and there. Yeah. (laughs) I know where they are, but, you know, they're just... Here and there. Henry has written his first story. And we learn a little bit about this writing process for him where he says that he he just wakes up and it's written there. And Sapphire sent in this feedback saying, sleeping on the job jokes aside, this is essentially the definition of an alleged form of spirit communication called automatic writing. I recognize this might sound a bit kooky, but please hear me out. Automatic writing is the process or product of writing material that does not come from the conscious thoughts of the writer. The writer's hands form the message, and the person is unaware of what will be written. It is sometimes done in a trance state. Other times, the writer is aware, not in a trance, of their surroundings, but not of the actions of their writing hand. I certainly don't know if Once Upon a Time's writers use the concept of automatic writing as inspiration for Henry's current experiences as the author. I just noticed a few similarities that made me wonder if, in fact, they did. Thanks to Cruella, we know that the pen slash Bob, thank you for calling the pen Bob, because that is our affectionate name for it, to be a living thing. Henry intends to recreate Hades' story with the pen, thus relaying information to the storybook again. He says he woke up being asleep in an alternate state of consciousness and does not remember writing these pages. But there they are. The automatic writing concept could be extended to drawing, explaining how Henry produced those lovely illustrations of baby Neil, Snow, and Charming. Season 5B involves the themes of death and an afterlife. Our heroes are in the underworld. They're literally communicating with the dead each time they chat up some poor, unfortunate soul at the Underworld Diner. 
Additionally, season five already has examples of talking to the dead. We've seen Merida, Regina, and Emma each use the ale of Shana to communicate with their loved ones. Conversely, Snow and Charming use a telephone booth to contact baby prince Neil from the realm of the dead. I'm not saying I think Henry gets possessed by a ghost each time he decides to pick up the pen. However, I wonder if it's like what Daniel said. That's me, Daniel, she's referring to. (laughs) The author is actually the instrument needed by the pen to write, not the other way around. We didn't see that happen to Isaac when he was the author. I'm curious to see how Once Upon a Time's writers explain this new facet of Henry and Bob's partnership and where they take it from here. I think we didn't see Isaac writing that way. We saw Isaac writing. But he was making the stories happen. Well, yes, but we saw him use it correctly as well. And he just, it came from the pen. He wasn't even putting the pen on the page. And when he did it, he was writing things that he wasn't observing directly, which suggested that the story of what was happening in the world simply flowed from the pen. When did we see Isaac using the pen properly? I can't remember a single time we've seen him use it properly. I'm thinking when he wrote for Cora, improper. When he wrote for himself to get himself out of the prison, improper. When the apprentice came up and put the author in the book, the author was writing his own version, and that's when he was saying it makes for a better story. Yeah, and the only other time we've seen him use the pen and and write was when he was making the heroes and villains story, which I which would be pretty improper because he's changing the fundamental nature of everybody and the universe. Right. Yeah, and Matt had some feedback as well, and he said maybe the blackouts are a symptom that a new author goes through starting out, and they'll happen less frequently the more Henry learns how to control his author powers. It could be similar to how Red had to learn how to control her wolf form without blacking out. Uh, I like that theory. And we never saw Isaac's beginning. We saw him choose the pen and then go off to the Enchanted Forest, but we never actually saw his very beginning days of authorship. So it's possible that he did have these blackouts. Yeah, that makes sense. But can everybody get off Henry's back? (laughs) Just leave me alone. I'm going to go to my room. Oh, gosh. Well, okay. Yeah, he's a teenager, but he's also trying his hardest. And he's clearly not doing this on purpose. I mean, he's literally blacking out. And Hook and Emma and everybody are acting like, why haven't you done this yet, Henry? How is it that you haven't helped us out yet, Henry? And what are they doing this entire episode? Sitting on a couch in the death apartment. Well, I wouldn't so, say that they're being shush. pushy like that. They were just suggesting maybe if you focus a little more. We'll disagree on that one. <laughs> okay, I, I could see both sides, actually. Meanwhile, Belle goes to the place that she knows would be the safest, or the place she knows the best, the library, where we get the scene and the conversation that I think most of us are thinking, finally, some honesty. Ugh. Well. So, Rumpel's girl, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this conversation? I had a lot of conflict over this scene. I was having a lot of problems processing it. Because I do think that Rumple is right about Belle, at least. I do think that Belle 
not necessarily is drawn to the darkness, but she does love those parts of the darkness. And she's even said that back in 315 Quiet Minds, where she told Neil, I love him, even the parts of him that belong to the darkness. The problem is that the darkness, when he's infected with it, he does really horrible things that she can't condone. And if he could just resist killing the peasants, maybe we'd be okay. (laughs) But... I don't know. I have problems with this scene, and as I usually do when I have problems, I started a thread <laughs> at the forums. And it's probably been the most popular thread all week, and there's some really, really great feedback, and we'll have a link to the thread in the show notes. At onespodcast.com slash 239. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I think I'm going to let other people talk, because I still don't quite know how to interpret this scene because I don't like what Rumpel has to say, but at the same time, some of it is true. And maybe that's why I don't like it, because he's being honest, but it's not a very hopeful thing for me to hear from my former favorite character. So... Yeah. I mean, beyond the fact that Belle didn't even question how he knew she was pregnant, and she didn't, there were a lot of things in this conversation that were true and good to get out i was glad they didn't want to prolong her ignorance Mm -hmm. of his deception because again emma should never have made that bargain yeah there's like there's no way that she should have agreed as a hero to keep bell in the dark for him i think that was always ridiculous so good now it can be over i guess except emma still did that But then there's the fact that Rumpel keeps calling this power, but it is evil. So the way he's using it is evil. Sure. But it's still the darkness. It is still the dark one. It has been turned and become evil. And they may twist that around at some point, but that's not how it was set up from the foundation of the show. It was suggested that that's the case this year, but not before that. And he so however you want to look at that he's he's not wrong and that's kind of what i've thought generally he's always been this person he had he wanted power now he has it that that really was a good assessment of his character but his assessment of bell even if it's true kind of ruins the beauty and the beast story for me at least in this show the beauty and the beast story yes i'm not so sure that it ruins bell and what we think of no, her. No, not at all. Well, initially I was thinking, wait, this goes against what we've heard about Belle is that she has this sort of magical power about her that she can see the good in people. Kitsis and Horowitz even said at one point, that's her special ability. And I was thinking, well, this what Rumpel is saying seems to kind of counter that. But think about the nature of the curse, the original dark curse. Did that change people or did that strengthen people's weaknesses or make their weaknesses their dominant features like look at what happened to bell when she became fully susceptible to the curse she became lacy and what did lacy enjoy about rumple his dark side so there might be that part of bell that does truly enjoy the beast yeah. but that's the weaker side of bell and the stronger side is the side that enjoys the man and wants rumple to be a better man well i think that would be a watering down of some of the stories that they've told in the past if they decide that that's really what 
is going to be the case. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and then the way that he spoke to her, I, w- I was glad to see her so strongly state that she can't condone this. What I'm afraid of is that they're going to move her toward being okay with it. And I'm especially concerned because he, in all his honesty, I found the things he said to her to be arrogant and forceful and manipulative. Mm-hmm. Like, you can actually ha- be, have happiness. You just have to accept me as I am. Which, in this context, is so wrong. No, I love the power too. And I've always wanted it. And you're just going to have to live with that. But, but you should. You can. And you will. Jacqueline, you mentioned that uh, the forums are very actively discussing this. What are some of the thoughts mm-hmm. from them? Keb uh, had some really great feedback that I want to read. And she wrote, Rumpel is right that Bell needs to accept him as is and stop trying to change him. He's right that she's attracted to the beast as much as the man. But Bell is also right that she cannot condone his worst behaviors no matter how much she loves him. Her principles are perfectly valid. She doesn't want to have to compete with power for his affection, a contest she's lost more than once, and she doesn't want to be an enabler for murder or slightly less cruelties. She may find the darkness and power attractive, and I think Rumpel was absolutely right about that, but it is also at odds with her principles about heroism. I think they could come to a reasonably healthy middle ground, though. Rumble is going to have to acknowledge that Bell's concerns about him abusing his powers and hurting people are completely valid and demonstrate that he is capable of using the darkness for good, as Emma and Merlin suggest someone could, without harming innocents. Bell, meanwhile, is going to have to accept the things she's been denying, like that when Rumple was trying his hardest to be good, even as herself and not as Lacey, she was actually more willing to reject him. She does not have to accept his continuing to hurt people to do this. But I'm thinking of the song, Tale as Old as Time, Then Somebody Bends Unexpectedly, which is a lyric from that song. If they both do, there's hope. If Rumpel sticks to his line of, this is who I am, Belle will never be able to accept that, and as it includes deceit, murder, kidnapping babies for potentially nefarious reasons. (laughs) <laughs> so I agree with a lot of what Keb said, and but I kind of want to talk about something Jeremy said, which is this idea of Rumpel's always wanted power. And that's how Rumpel talks about it, but I think there's something underneath the power. And this comes a lot from Nevermore and also OUAT Random Thoughts, who argue that what Rumpel really wants is control. And it's not necessarily control in the sense that he wants to manipulate and use everybody around him, but he wants control of his own life and destiny. Because when we first meet Rumpel at his earliest stage, he is incredibly poor, he's a peasant, and he's under the thumb of a duke who can literally control whether or not he lives or dies, the same can be said then of his child. The duke has complete control over your entire life. And Rumpel's never had control of his his own life. His father abandons him. His father takes him or he leaves him. He's shuffled around the board many times. He's told that he has to go to war. He's told that his child has to go to war. He's told that because of the circumstances of his life, he can't just really pack up and move or do something else. He's literally stuck. He has no control over his destiny. And I think that's why the dagger and this power hold such a lure. I don't think it's 
power per se that he's after so much as he doesn't want to give up that safety blanket of being able to be in control of his own life. Mm. And I think what we'll see is maybe a compromise. Like you said, quoting from the song, I, I forgot that those lyrics were in the song, then somebody bends unexpectedly. Maybe he'll bend in some way. And I would I would really hope he would bend toward the right side. But in some ways, I kind of feel like I've accepted Rumpel as a villain. Except this episode. This episode made it feel like, <laughs> like he's not fully villain, but also not good. But it's like the gangster who is a gangster so that he can have a wonderful life with his family. It's a conflict, really. Living a life of conflict. And that's what I see Rumpel doing right now, is trying to have a life of love and eventually a family, while also being a monster. But if he uses his magic for good, which is what Merlin predicted back in Season 5A, then is he still a monster? Just because his magic happens to be of a dark variety like if he uses it for good and we've seen him use his magic for good you know healing people Mm -hmm. helping henry it's not that his magic is all always bad he just needs to not kill the peasants (laughs) his version of that power has been and could we play a montage of every time they've said if you do that thing you will be dark forever If you kill that person, you will be dark forever. That power was turned completely dark. And I'm not, I'm still just not comfortable with them deciding that you can wield darkness, evil for good. If the power could somehow be, have the evil and the darkness expunged, fine. But it's just, it's just a muddy, nasty message to say that it can be, the darkness, the evil can be good. It's not by definition good. So that might be the way they go, but I will never be cool with it. It's just a bad message. I don't know if they know what their message is (laughs) because, well, okay. And that sounds critical and harsh, but (laughs) let me unpack that a bit because, and we're going back to season 5A, which muddied the waters to the point where I really think they changed their mind halfway through about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Because in episode 501, The Dark Swan, we had that moment where we saw that Excalibur and the dagger were once one thing. Mm -hmm. And Excalibur was supposed to be this kind of instrument for light, and the dagger turns out to be this instrument for darkness. But they're connected. And it's this idea that you can't have one without the other. And then by that arc's end, it was just, no, this is the darkness and it's evil and it must be eradicated. Nothing about the union of light and dark, because how can you know what darkness is if you don't have light? But how can you not, how can you know what light is if you don't have darkness? And they've muddied it to the point where if Rumpel does hold on to the Dark One's power, it's taken as a sign of, well, he's just a straight up villain, black hat and evil. But... You know, it's like I already said, he can use that magic for good. It's just that they've complicated it so much that it's always going to be seen as evil, even if he's not necessarily doing evil. Well, that's because that's how they defined it. When Blue spoke about it, season one, the name The Dark One, the entire lineage, it's just this year that they've redefined what that power is. And so 
should expect confusion. It's not. It, it's it's not even supposed to belong. It doesn't. It doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong in the enchanted forest. It's it's bad. It should be gone. It should have been eradicated. They shouldn't have connected it to something so light, in my opinion. And further complicating things. And speaking of light, remember, end of season four, they took all of the darkness out of his heart, so he has a pure heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it took it's it's about a hundred and fifty years to two hundred years, I think is where Keb has settled on this question. That's how long it took his heart to fully blacken again. So, I mean, he's got a while before he's back to the state he was in season four. But (laughs) I don't know. It's this is why I said this scene gave me a lot of fits. Yeah, because I and at the same time, I don't agree with a lot of what Rumpel said about himself. This idea that neither exists without the other, meaning the man and the beast, because I don't think that's true. He may have wanted control over his life when we saw him as the peasant, but he wasn't a beast. He was a very protective father. He was a very good father. Mm-hmm. I don't think wanting to have control over your life and not be dictated to is the mark of a beast. I think it's human nature. So uh, I don't agree with that. Yeah, because that was more like he went after the thing that he thought would let him protect his son. Right. And isn't that what made Rumble such a compelling character in the first place for us? And then to argue against myself, a normal person might have said, huh, maybe I don't want to be the dark one. That looks pretty evil. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on a little bit to the level one haunting booth. (laughs) Our meanwhile in the Charming's lives. (laughs) (laughs) There was that guy in the line that... uh, Oh, you know, the, to hear the pain kind of and the the torture it's been mm-hmm. 30 years that he's been trying to get a message through. I like that guy. He said, <laughs> I hope so. Yep. So it surprises me that this haunting booth is available because wouldn't that be something that gives people some kind of hope? It's true. Especially since it does work. It should be black market and there shouldn't be a big line. Hades would shut it down. Well, maybe level two haunting is a black market item and that's what you need the breath of the living for. Right. Or at least this guy, this guy should be a threat to Hades because he's got hope. He didn't, what were, what were the things? He didn't lose interest in life and... And joy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, he seems like he could be, he could be an ally. Meanwhile, everyone's combing the woods for baby pistachio. And, uh, you know what? <laughs> let, let me speak now. <laughs> okay. My sympathies. Yes. To all of the Britneys, <laughs> the Nancys, <laughs> and the Marians of the world. Your names are not horrible. Yeah. From Zelina, of all people. Zelina. <laughs> yep. I mean, my computer will hardly let me type Selena without changing it to Selena. <laughs> Did anyone else think Robin's rationalization, <sighs> though, was utterly bizarre? I mean, I, yeah, I, I definitely have a mini rant. Like, what? I mean, 
now who now who's the Nancy? Like <laughs> he just oh, that whole thing. He, he how long is he gonna wait to name this child? How do you know who a baby really is? I mean, you gotta wait till they're at least like five years old. You start to figure out who they are. Well, I think he does have a point, which we learn <laughs> later, is that he definitely doesn't want to name the baby while they're in the underworld. That's fine, but I need to get to know her first. Just name your child, man. <laughs> Goodness sakes. No wonder he doesn't do anything. He can't even decide how to name the child until he gets to know her. This is not Robin Hood. Sorry. Rant over. <laughs> <laughs> He's more irrelevant than the Charmings. But Regina has really matured as a family woman. And to hear what comes from her, and this goes to excellent writing in this episode and great dialogue and all of that. But what Regina said, I think, is, is a beautiful picture. I thought all I needed was my vengeance to keep me warm at night. But then something happened. My enemies became my family. And that's when I finally felt happy. That is why I'm here. They need my help. And when family needs help, you step up. Yeah, it was so, it was kind of funny to after, in the same scene after this what in the world line from Robin Hood to hear this. This is one of my favorite moments. This is my favorite moment between Regina and Zelina ever, I would say. Regina's finally trying to be a sister, she's trying to actually help and give some real advice. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love the line, my enemies became my family. That's that's a really sweet moment from Regina. And it also shows the forgiveness on the other side, too. Yes, that the family accepted their enemy. Mm-hmm. And speaking of family, they all get together again. They're in the woods with baby pistachio. And... Yeah. What a tender moment between Zelina and the baby. And the expressions on everyone's faces were just perfect. Uh, From Robin and Regina and Belle as Zelina was holding the baby. And, And this thing that happens then with Zelina using her magic to take the baby again... Makes me think, no, we we can't trust Zelina at all. She's just going to keep doing this over and over and over again. And is that where you landed by the end of the episode? I don't know. <laughs> I think by the end of the episode, my thinking is Zelina can't be trusted with the baby. And she knows that. And she really is not the right person to be the mother of this baby. And yet she is going to try and take it back. Yeah, which that throws a bunch of theories out, but we'll get to that in a moment. Was it her magic that made the feeding go so fast? (laughs) No, it was her love. Oh. (laughs) Love makes the world go round faster. So I, I really like the changes. I don't know if I totally understand how... The changes have come about maybe really just being with and seeing the baby. Maybe that has stirred something up in her. I Her heart fluttered, which it hasn't in eons. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know some people kind of weren't sure they wanted to see motherhood be a part of the path to redemption for Zelina. Although as 
redemption arcs go, I think that one might be a little more realistic simply because sometimes you kind of do see people grow out of some really destructive life patterns, even in real life when they become parents. Mm. So I'm personally cool with it. It just, I want, I wonder if we'll see a little bit of the middle to like her journey back from Oz Mm. again. (laughs) And if any of that was preparation. What do you think reignited her magic? Hmm. In the initial reactions with Jenny, formula. I theorized that maybe in the underworld, you can't use magic without hope or love. And that's why hope is forbidden in the underworld. Right. So you'll find no one named hope there. <laughs> and with Zelina holding her baby, certainly it reignited love, but also maybe a little bit of hope. And that's what enabled her to use her magic, just like Regina was able to use her magic when she saw the horse and it reminded her of daniel and gave her hope yeah but in the next zelina scene when she's running through the woods with baby pistachio like i mean she still has her baby she still has that symbol of love and hope and innocence and she can't get her fingers to ignite for the rash on its face i felt like one of two things happened there either seeing the harm she had caused rattled her enough that she lost hope and then couldn't do it. Or she was starting to try to heal and then realized, wait, I don't know what's going to happen because what I just did shouldn't have caused any harm. So maybe I don't want to use more magic on my child. I've been thinking it's the latter, that she was right about to do it and then realized, wait a minute, I caused this. Mm -hmm. And that's later at her cabin she does say it's all my fault because actually yeah that's when she said my magic caused this was just as she was getting ready to do it and she's saying i can't protect her this is later on she acknowledges that she can't protect the baby it's not because she doesn't have magic it's because she can't trust her magic her magic is destructive right now it's a little out of control And it's kind of like Storybrooke when magic was first brought to Storybrooke. Remember, it was a little unpredictable. It was. Or they needed to relearn it or something. Mm. It's certainly a good thing to have happen when you need unpredictable things to happen in the story. When they do confront Zelina at her home, she does say this thing. Again, beautiful words, beautiful writing here. Take her. You can protect her. I can't. My magic's unpredictable. I don't care if you never let me see her again. But you have to save her, Regina, please. It's more important than what happens to me. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And does she finally mean it? I think she meant it in that moment. But, you know, there again, she was not that long ago motivated totally out of selfishness, totally out of I want someone, I want a child so someone will love me and only me. So, yeah, she may waffle a bit for a while. Regina certainly did. I agree. I think she means it in that moment when she has no other recourse. At that moment, she still thinks that Hades is coming for her child and that her magic is too unpredictable to save the child from Hades. But once she realizes that Hades 
doesn't want the child and therefore her magic and its unpredictableness aren't a hindrance, I think she's going to want the baby back. Yeah. We've never actually answered the question as to why they're so fearful of him using the baby for this spell. She did. That baby's fine. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, there's that, but I don't know. Well, if the Lord of the Underworld wants to take a baby, it just does not sound like something that can really be okay. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. (laughs) Back at the apartment with everyone there, and uh, when they had the picture that had the story that went along with it, that baby Neil heard the voices of their parents singing softly, I kind of expected a little funny quip like, But their voices weren't that good, or they didn't sing very well. But then again, that would have ruined the magic of this moment. It would have. I'm actually glad they put this little piece in, so we don't have to worry about what this level one haunting looked like on the other side. Yeah. (laughs) Here's something I'm a little concerned about with what the heroes are hoping they can do. Henry, so far, has only been able to write the present Nothing about the past. He wrote about Snow and Charming in the diner. He wrote about Baby Neil. Both present things. Mm. So maybe he does just need to focus a little bit more. Or maybe the author can only write stories as they happen. At some point, I was under the impression that was the implication. Whether we actually saw it or not. Whether I made that up in my little head or not. I'm not sure. But that was... As it happens was the implication that I remember getting as these things unfolded. Well, now that Zelina is there with them, can Zelina dictate to Henry what Hades and her story is and he can record it as Zelina is saying it? Except that Zelina isn't with them. She's at her house and then she goes to see Hades there in the town square and then presumably goes back to her house to separate herself from everyone else. Well, but can't Henry go to her house? True. But no one knows that Zelina is involved and that Zelina's story merges or mixes with Hades' story. It's the story that shows that they mixed. Yeah, but they know that Hades wanted Zelina's baby. Aren't they... I mean, Regina can just go over to the house and be like, so what's up with you and the Lord of the Underworld and this baby? And, oh, well, it's a long story, but basically he's in love with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that would probably be helpful to my son. Let me go get him and his magic pen. I think that Zelina communicated what Regina needed to know, and that was that at that point, Zelina thought that Hades wanted to reenact that spell to be able to time travel. And that's why he wanted a baby. And it just so happened that maybe you know the, the time travel spell Bell innocence was already removed from baby Neil, so instead he wanted uh, baby pistachio. Well, do you think that he was really trying to protect? I think so. This final scene that we get, this very beautiful and emotional scene between Zelina and Hades at the town square, he explains this was all for her. Building a storybook in the underworld was for her. Bringing baby pistachio to the underworld to protect the baby was for her. Yeah, but was he going to, like, how is he going to get baby pistachio back to Zelina? I think maybe his next step was 
to bring Zelina, or maybe to somehow be able to leave the underworld. Well, see, yeah. So there's there's the last little piece that makes me still question all of this a little bit. Uh, not that logic is required for things to be as they appear, but why build something for Zelina in the underworld when originally it seemed that if they were mutually in love and shared true love's kiss, that he would never have to go back to the underworld again. Yeah. And I like what the Dark One Deary said. <laughs> you know, it's just also the way Greg German is acting that makes it tough to tell. He's playing the part well, and at this point, it's too difficult to know for sure what his true intentions are. In one sense, his heart did seem to flicker, and he did seem to be enjoying himself with her on that bike. And when he did make the underworld look like Storybrooke for her, allegedly... But he also disappeared when Zelina took the Scarecrow's brain, then was faintly persistent and quick to declare it true love and try and get that kiss. And then he was very menacing when he told her she would regret what she had done before poofing out of Oz. My guess, he does care about her, but cares more about his revenge on Zeus. And in the underworld now, he still wants to be buddy-buddy with Zelina, not only because he likes her, but also because he may need her baby for the time travel curse. I think his first plan will be to take Belle's baby, but he needs a backup plan. And I think he would burn her for baby pistachio if he had to. It's sad because finally Zelina is putting love for her baby over revenge on her sister. But Hades isn't there yet, I don't think. It's complicated and I love it. Thank you, the Dark One Dairy. Great feedback. You gotta have somebody overcome with a desire for vengeance. Yeah. And it could be really cool to see maybe the final battle. You know that thing we've been talking about for (laughs) years? Maybe it would be a battle between the gods in this Greek mythology world. It won't be the final battle for a long time because really my prediction is that eventually we'll see the battle between baby pistachio and her bitterness toward <laughs> baby Neil. They'll be all grown up, battling through Storybrooke. Henry will be the wise old author, but he'll die in the end. Wow, that was uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> this is like season 10 or something? Yeah, at least. Oh, good. <laughs> 10B. Let's not be silly. <laughs> <laughs> So do you think he's sincere about his love and about creating Storybrooke for Zelina and wanting a life of love with her? I I never predicted I'd say these words. I'm with Zelina. (laughs) (laughs) She seems to want to trust him, but she can't yet. Probably wise. Belle, you should hang out with Zelina more. But he's not forcing it. One of the things I loved most about this scene was that he seems to get that trust takes time, especially when you are as closed off and emotionally damaged as Zelina is. And so he basically says, we're going to do this slowly and respectfully. And his final line to her, oh my gosh, guys, this, you don't need me. You don't need anyone. But if you change your mind, if you decide that you want me, I'll be waiting for you at home, just like I always have. 
I have wished for nothing, basically, but Zelina's death for a very long time. <laughs> and now, <laughs> like, I need her and our equivalent of the devil to get a happily ever after. Um, because that line just, like, destroyed my insides. Please tell me you're not going to change your name to Hades Girl. <laughs> he might be more likable than Rumple right now. It, it's... <laughs> yep once again the relationship between the lord of the underworld and the wicked witch of the west would appear to be healthier than <laughs> bell and rumple's relationship appear on the other hand wow that's true everything i learned about con artists i learned from sawyer on lost and he may just be wanting her to believe that it's her idea mm. Mm, because i don't know it's either that he's either a thousand times better at emotional manipulation than even Rumple, <laughs> or he's really, really sincere. Like all these things he says, wouldn't it be nice to not be alone anymore? That's oh my gosh! It's another one of those lines that like just tugged at my heartstrings. <laughs> and then, like even the really clunky, cheesy, weird dialogue of "It's our decay." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like he's created this kingdom for her so she can come and have what he thinks she wants because he just wants her to be happy and oh and i think a lot of people can relate to that sentiment but it's our decay (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah i don't know I I told myself I would never ever ship anything on this show ever again, and it's oh I fell down a rabbit hole. <laughs> you made me my own story, Brooke. Yes, he did. The clock towers in the street. You can look at it more closely. <laughs> Isn't it fantastic? So now you don't have to climb stairs to throw someone through the clock tower anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So, Zelina's side of this, she said she'll get her baby back, but without his help. She'll do it all by herself. Do you think that's her basically saying she'll earn the trust back and earn her baby back? Or that she'll figure out some way to have magic again and use magic to get her baby back nefariously again? I'm so distracted because you keep saying baby back and I just feel a song coming on. (laughs) I felt a song coming on when Jacqueline mentioned falling down the rabbit hole. We found Wonderland, you know. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. back. To answer your question, I think, well, okay, I hope that Zelina's heart has been moved a little bit in this episode and that she's not suddenly going to be back trying to get revenge on Regina to get the baby back. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping, hoping that she'll go to the family and say, we're family. I want to do this together. Hmm. I don't think she'll go quite that far. She was pretty emphatic about doing it alone. Here's my prediction is that, In the next episode, we'll see something happen in this relationship between Hades and Zelina that Hades will feel truly rejected, not just, I'll keep waiting for you, but he'll feel truly rejected and then go ballistic as a result. And then essentially become the devil and really start going all out crazy and destructive. I don't like your prediction. (laughs) 
one reason why I kind of want something like that to happen is because I want to see a villain stay a villain and be villainous. I I mean, it's great to see redemption. Please don't get me wrong. I am a big fan of redemption. I totally believe in the power of redemption. Indeed. But for the story, for this show, which is a fictional show, I want to see a villain be completely a villain. I want to see heroes be heroes. Yes, maybe struggle a little bit, but yeah. I want there to be like a clear black and white. And I know one of the premises of the show is also about the gray areas of things and they explore a lot of the gray areas. Yeah. So I don't want it, this to turn out to be that Hades, the ruler of the underworld, mm-hmm. person that many people equate with the devil, is really evil simply because love. Yeah. See, and, and that's why I objected to this, because it's the same story as Korra. Basically, I wouldn't have been this way except my heart. Well, she removed her own heart, but if she had just put it back in, she just didn't know. And that kind of swept aside a lot of the things that she was even before she took her heart out. And and he might not be this way, except that his heart was stopped. And besides sort of plot-wise, removing the antagonist, in a sense, or weakening that concept, it, it, tend, it takes away a lot of the personal responsibility, which is not something that our culture needs any more of. People don't often take responsibility for things that they do. In fact, Regina's a better example, finally. I'm, I actually like that the more that I think about it. She takes responsibility now, despite some of the things they've had her say before, for what she did. Mm-hmm. She understands that she caused pain and suffering, and she doesn't spin those things or twist them or say that they were something other than just wrong and bad and evil. She's, she was the evil queen and now she's not. And she understands that it was, she was consumed with bitterness, but it's not, at least in her story, it's not this thing happened to me. So I had no choice. It it was all her choices. And she talks about that. So I like that. But some of these other villains, I just don't like to see an outside element overriding who they really are. They can change, but. But is it overriding who he really is? Because as of right now, we have no real solid backstory for Hades. We have this this glimpse that shows that he fell in love. But, I mean, kind of in all fairness to him, we don't know what he was like prior to apparently being cast down into the underworld by Zeus. He was the most hated person. (laughs) Is there anyone more hated than the Lord of the Underworld? But before that. But he wasn't the Lord of the Underworld prior to, I mean, and I don't know how they're going to spin this on the show, but prior to the battle with the Titans, he wasn't the Lord of the Underworld. I got the impression that this was his role that was designated to him, not like it was a punishment, but that it's like the roles were being handed out and this is the one he got and he just hates it. He wanted to be the ruler of Olympus, not the ruler of the Underworld. And he resents his brother for whatever reason being chosen to be the ruler of Olympus mm-hmm. and his being chosen to be the ruler of the underworld. True. Yeah, it might be a similar case to Rumples, where he sees himself one way, but he hasn't realized yet that these things happened. Maybe his heart was stopped because it was the only way to stop him. Yeah. What if he gets his heart going again and then he becomes totally wicked 
Sorry, Zelina, but he becomes even more wicked than you. <laughs> would he turn green or would she just turn more green out of envy? Oh, <laughs> Or turn green again? I don't know. I kind of think we need another piece of this story with Hades. I think we need to see the circumstances that led him to the underworld. Yeah, we just need Henry to try harder. I think we'll probably, <laughs> oh, gosh. We'll probably get that backstory for Hades in the episode where they defeat Hades. <laughs> Which could be very soon really? because Snow seemed to be adamant that we have to do this now. What if they don't? What if he just, what if he destroys Storybrooke and everybody just lives in the underworld, but for real this time because they're not living? Maybe he's going to win. <laughs> I don't know. But this does conclude <laughs> our discussion of this episode, our decay. And we would love for you to continue the conversation. And you can do this in two places. Either comment on the show notes over at oncepodcast.com slash 239. But go there anyway. And please share this episode out on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Google+, Pinterest, all of those places. And share the episode with your friends, too, as you're talking about Once Upon a Time. Tell them to go visit oncepodcast.com. Maybe even show them how to subscribe to the podcast on their mobile devices, because our podcast is available in all of the mobile apps. But the other place you can continue the conversation is in our forums, also available linked from the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 239. Please continue sending us feedback for future episodes of Once Upon a Time, and we would love to incorporate that as we can into the episodes, and we're very grateful for the feedback that you sent for this episode. We appreciate that all the time. And connect with us, please, on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, Jenny for managing our patron bonuses for our heroes, and Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for co-hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, I'll be waiting for you at home, just like I always have. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. There are now really cool bonuses, like lots of fun bloopers, and there are a lot from this episode, so you got to go check it out <laughs> over on Patreon. Go to oncepodcast.com slash hero to become a hero to the podcast and get those awesome bloopers and other bonuses. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. Episode 517, Her Handsome Hero. Belle turns to Rumpelstiltskin with hope of finding a way to protect her child from Hades. However, they disagree over whether to use dark magic as Belle forbids Rumpelstiltskin from using his powers for evil.
Meanwhile, Hades secretly meets with Gaston in the underworld and encourages him to seek revenge on Rumpelstiltskin. As the heroes try to find a way to defeat Hades, Emma has a terrifying nightmare that she realizes is beginning to come true. And in flashbacks, Belle and Gaston meet for the first time, but their blossoming romance comes to a halt on the eve of the Ogre Wars. Written by Jerome Schwartz, directed by Romeo Tyrone. And we've got some surprising guest stars. We do. There was one person who jumped out at me and I went, oh, I didn't realize you were going to be in this episode. I know, me too. So we've got Wes Brown as Gaston. We've got Eric Kenleyside as Maurice slash Mo, Belle's father. And Greg of course we German. have Greg German as Hades. And our surprise guest. Megan Ori as Ruby. I know, I was so excited. Yeah, I mean, we knew that Ruby was going to be back this second half of the season, and we know that it's probably going to be in two weeks from now for Ruby Slippers, but I didn't realize she was going to be in this episode. I know, neither did I. I. The promo didn't even hint to that. Yeah. I wonder if it's a little thing at the end. That's what I'm thinking. I think Ruby might show up at the very end of the episode. Like, she gets the credit for being in this episode, but she's only in, like, the last couple seconds. Like, she comes in, and they're all like, hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Oh, no, what's happened? Another magic bean bring you here? Oh, gosh, no more beans. (laughs) Nope, no more beans. So, yeah, that was very surprising. And I like seeing her, though, so it's always a good thing when we can get her. It is. So we did get a promo, of course. Yes. Um, and this one is very heavily focused on Belle and Rumpel and Gaston, who are the main stories this week around. And in the flashback, we see that Belle and Gaston are introduced by Belle's father. Mm-hmm. And then we do see Emma looking at a grave, but I wasn't sure who it was. Yeah. You can't really tell. They don't show the front. Um, but Hades and Gaston do have a little interaction. Because Hades is talking to Gaston about finally seeking revenge on Rumpel, who apparently did take his life when he turned him into a rose. So people kind of, I think, always wondered whether or not Gaston died instantly or later, but he did die. Yeah, I I don't, personally, I don't think he died instantly because the flower was still alive. Right. But that's just me. He would have eventually wilted. Yes. (laughs) And only on that show Um, can I say something like that. Um, and he, Gaston wants to return the favor, so this is where we get Gaston trying to shoot Rumpel with a bow and arrow, and Rumpel catches the arrow in his hand, and we had filming pictures of this back when they were filming that episode. Yes. Um, we do also see Emma and Regina team up to use their magic to open that elevator door that's in the library, um, and if you remember, when they take the elevator down, that's where Hades' little domain is. Mm Mm-hmm. This next one got me weirded out. The Hades and Belle conversation. Okay, so the last thing we do see in the promo is Hades and Belle, and they are having a conversation. And Mm -hmm. Belle wants to know what Hades wants, and Hades replies, what you want most in the world, your baby. And he says it really, really creepy. Yes, really, really creepy. And he put his hand on her belly. That's bad. That, okay. Okay. That is the most rude thing in the world. And I know from experience. Yeah. If someone comes up and just touches your belly without, oh, it just drives me nuts. Yeah. So Hades, yeah. don't do that. That's just wrong. It was so rude. But yeah. <laughs> I have a little problem with this episode, I think. 
What's that? I don't like that the fact that Belle and Gaston had a budding romance. I don't either because she seemed incredibly indifferent to him it, back in Skin Deep. Right. Because that's a character that she portrays in the movies and everything like that. She doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Yeah. I'm hoping that the budding romance is really short and maybe doesn't actually go on for very long. Because I think that would be really disrespectful to that great episode, Skin Deep. Yeah, like maybe they have, she has an infatuation with him because he's so good looking and all this stuff. But then she finds out how much of a tool he really is. Hopefully. That's what I'm hoping happens. Like... In five minutes type thing. Right, exactly. We don't have a sneak peek. We don't have any sneak peeks, and so far we don't have any pictures either. No, I know I know the pictures last week came out really late. Very late last week. So I'm hoping that they'll be out soon, but unfortunately we don't have any of that for you guys. But we do have a script tease. Yay, our wonderful dramatic readings. Our favorite. Okay, so this is between Emma and Snow, and who would you like to be? Um, I'll be Snow. Okay, I'll be Emma. Okay, so get in character. That kind. Snow draws her bow. I'll have a look. Riveting. I know. A plus television right there, guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's your writing for you by uh, Jerome Schwartz. Yep. Has me on the edge of my seat. (laughs) So that's pretty much all we have for this episode. I did want to mention a couple new pictures that we got from set. They are officially done with filming now. So we're not really going to get anything else from here on out. But a few notes. People took a closer look at the pictures of Sam Witwier and Hank Harris that we had from last week. And it was revealed that Hank Harris has similar cuts on his face to Sam Witwier. So I think this pretty much solidifies the theory that they are Jekyll and Hyde. Hyde. Okay. And that's where we'll be going next year. But are they in the same... Do you see them at the exact same time? Yeah, you never do. And that's why I think they're going to stick with the original conception in Jekyll and Hyde that it's the same Person. person, but that the personalities are so vastly different that I think they're going to, they cast different actors even for that to throw off the audience for a while. That's fine. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) For those of you that have ever seen the Broadway show, like of Jekyll and Hyde, when he takes a potion, he like flips himself around and it's that kind of a thing Mm -hmm. where he's like half of his face is one character, half of his face is another. Okay. So do we have any other info? That's all we've got this week. Okay. Well, it's a nice short episode, and you guys are going to love our bloopers. Yeah, have fun with those. So, you know. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Wednesdays.